Good morning. It's your girl, Joy Melody, and we're here to help you start your Mondays off right. We're here to talk about a little education, a little mental health, and the music we use to cope in this crazy, crazy world. I hope you enjoy the show, and you're listening to Morning Joy. Good what's happening? Good morning. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Can you introduce yourself to the people I hope are listening to this awesome show? Yeah, my name is Waleed Afifi. I'm a professor in the Department of Communication at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And so can you talk about like what professor of communication is? So some folks who might not know like the difference between mass comm and comm studies. Yeah, so um, communication is a relatively new field as fields go. Uh, discipline. Um, it sort of developed out of uh, lots of different fields coming together. The main, um, I guess, focus of our discipline is on studying messages. So uh, we can, we, some, some people study messages in mediated uh, contexts, so mass media or uh, online or texting. Some people study organizational messages. Um, some people study health messages or persuasion. Um, some people study rhetoric, so that's more of the humanities side of the discipline. Um, and, uh, you know, on and on, um, I study interpersonal communication. So, um, I'm interested in how people talk to one another and, um, its effects on their well-being. Which I think is really interesting in this day and age where folks really don't know how to talk to each other. Um, what is it? The generation after mine grew up with like technology, you know? Um, (laughs) I mean, I kind of had a phone my senior year of high school. Um, so like, what has that been like transitioning into this technology age and you're studying something so personal and face to face, so to speak? Yeah. So there's actually, um, a lot of, scholars whose focus is on exactly that question. So um, the role of the technology on affecting our interactions. Um, and in fact, here at UCSB, we have some of the best people on that. And so it's really cool to have those conversations with them. Um, and one of the things that I really like that they focus on is, is how the structures that... Um, so in other words, you know, Twitter has... Um, a limited number of words. How does that affect the type of communication that happens versus an email or versus Facebook where there's not really that, um, you know, so different social media platforms and different even sort of texting uh, apps and different, et cetera, each have structures that um, affect the type of communication that happens. And so that's, a, that's something that's really cool. I, I teach a class on um, nonverbal. Mm. So... Um, one of the conversations that we have in there is how, how, does, how does not being able to see the person affect, uh, you know, the number of sort of communication mistakes, but also how um, through online we get more limited nonverbal messages, right? And so how, that, how we make up for that sometimes through texting, um, but also how that affects the conversation. I always interpret my boyfriend's text messages as angrier than they are. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I, that's, yeah, that's pretty common. I mean, sometimes really, and then I, I, have, I have some friends too that are really short in their texts, like soup, they're never, you know, it's like five words max. And I'm someone who just like will write these really long texts. And so it's, um, it, it definitely can contribute to a lot more sort of misunderstanding than, than would be the case face to face. 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting. So segueing into like why I wanted you on the show, because one, I think you're awesome. I bet you. And then I'm also your Facebook friend. So I get to see all your Facebook grants that are awesome. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, love, super love. Um, why can't I share this a thousand times? Um, so you study interpersonal communication and the well-being of messages. And so you also are a huge advocate for folks of color, um, other people in affinity groups, basically anybody who's marginalized, you're out here like screaming for them to be heard. And so I would like for you to kind of discuss that, especially kind of relay it back to, did that play into like why you went into interpersonal communication? Um, I'll answer the last one first, uh, cause that's pretty short. No. Um, um, you know, I, I've come to my, uh, I've come to sort of my position and my advocacy uh, much later in life. Hmm. Um, and so um, that's been a relatively recent sort of passion and commitment of mine, probably in the last even maybe five to 10 years. Um, and yeah. So uh, my, if you look at my sort of research aspects of community of culture of et cetera, are really pretty absent until relatively recent. Um, and, I, you know, it's, um, it likely speaks to, so those, so since uh, people listening may not be able to see me, I'll sort of describe my background a little bit. Um, but um, I grew up with my a Palestinian father um, and an American mother who met in, um, in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, at the American University of Beirut. He was being, he was studying to be a physician. She was studying to be a nurse. And, um, and so they met. She, the way that she ended up in Beirut was a long story. Her, her parents were incredibly progressive for their time. Her dad was working for the forestry division in Jordan. And um, wow. she was 18 and they let her um, actually spent a, a year in Afghanistan too. I mean, they were incredible. But they let their daughter, uh, their, uh, daughter go to Beirut um, to study nursing because that was the best university in, in the region. So anyway, so she, that's how wow. she got there. But um, yeah, so... Um, I grew up in Beirut during Civil War and um, uh, ultimately left about halfway through the war because um, it, it was, well, my sister start was going to college at the University of Iowa. Her first year was a freshman and there was just too much, too many ways, too much danger uh, on an ongoing basis for us. And so the thought was that we would just uh, move to Iowa for a couple of years until things settled down and then move back. And of course they didn't settle for another 10 years. So right. We ended up staying here for good. Um, I say that only because my identity has always been one um, that's a little complicated, um, but that my affinities, my sort of primary affinities are with Palestinians for, first and foremost, um, Arabs more broadly, Lebanese, I'm intimately familiar with the Lebanon situation. Um, I'm a Muslim by identity, although not technically practicing, but that's my, my identity. Um, but I look, um, but I certainly pass as white. I, I, I look as American as can be, quote unquote, you know, uh, for all the stereotypes that that holds, and um, and certainly pass as white. So um, it's sort of been this 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 thing over time, and trying to figure out sort of where my identity lies and how I fit in spaces as a white ma male. Um, that comes with a whole lot of privileges. So part of the reason that um, 
and I grew up high SES also. I mean, with a physician for a dad and a PhD for a mom, um, we hung around pretty high SES circles um, and very high education circles. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I really sort of my privilege wasn't really, I wasn't really aware of my privilege, um, really frankly, growing up because of the high SES and high education and white passing skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that wasn't salient to me as I went and sort of deciding what career I would do for sure. Uh, right. And in fact, I saw, I saw communication and research through white lenses because that's what was in front of me. And I didn't, uh, I didn't challenge it, which is surprising given that I grew up in the Middle East. Um, but uh, I, I sort of adopted into the American culture very quickly, partly because we came here often as a, as a child and partly because sort of I knew what it took to, to fit in and I was able to do so very easily because of my skin color. Um, so, yeah, so that sort of goes into, you know, how is it that sort of, well, it goes a little bit about identity and also how is it that it didn't really affect my choice of, of um, area in terms of interpersonal communication. <laughs> Long-winded. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Because for those of you listening, um, my boyfriend has come on Lance, and so Lance knows Lolita here as well. And me, me and Lance were talking, and he goes, it's so funny how different people perceive things. He goes, when I first met Lolita, I thought he was white. And I said, well, I first saw Lolita, I didn't think he was white. And he was uh-huh. like, really? And I was like, yeah, like he doesn't. And I was like, I don't know. I just think that's really interesting how like we're both black and one of us saw you, thought you were white and me i was like nah he's not white and i was like maybe <laughs> i knew your name i don't know um, but i was like nah he you know so um with that being said and you said it came your advocacy and your passion and using your voice and privilege for others um and even yourself i mean because it's a really crazy state more than out there you would know better than me um but why did it take so long and was there like this fear of you know that and when it comes to academia, that tenure position or like fear of being pigeonholed as that race person or like what, why didn't you come out like, ah, you know, for lack of better words? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. You know, I don't, um, uh, I guess I'll, for a long time, it wasn't something that was salient to me. Mm. I don't feel I was making a conscious choice to do this versus that. Um, and, and it, and the question is really interesting because it makes me think why that, why that is um and um i mean i certainly was raised with an understanding that um that palestinians specifically and arabs more generally have uh, challenges to success mm-hmm. uh, because of a, a misunderstanding of what we're all about and um the politics around Israel-Palestine and all that. Um, so that's something that my dad, you know, that that was clear growing up. Um, and so maybe implicitly, um, you know, maybe implicitly that played a role for me to sort of um, adapt and adopt the sort of white, you know, whiteness fully um, so that, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a good question about why it, was, why it wasn't very salient, but it wasn't. Um, and so it wasn't until recently, I'd say maybe the t- last 10 years, and I don't know, again, I think maybe, maybe it was partly comfort with having being full professor. 
but that wasn't a con. I don't again. I don't think it was a conscious thing, but undoubtedly that probably played a role. And, and I was starting to to um, to figure out what my what what productive role I could play for Palestinian students and uh, on the issue of Palestine Israel on campuses, um, which then led me to work more closely with students and. Um, that so undergrad students uh, undergrads and then that i think led me to more spaces where there were um students who were struggling because of their identities um and that probably not, now that i've been thinking about it, i haven't really thought through how this came up but that probably had a big role in opening my eyes to some of the to, to a lot of this That's cool. and also just struggling through my own identity i mean trying to really work through that as well i've never but, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. I was, I was thinking that actually, now that I think about it, there is one moment that, that hit me more in terms of the allyship role, mm-hmm. and, but also more broadly just for self-reflection. It was, um, a Trayvon, it was shortly after Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. and it was the first uh, Black Lives Matter meeting that I attended. And at, oh, the, wow. time, at the time, I, I don't even know that I could put a label that it was a Black Lives Matter meeting. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was the early stages of Black Lives Matter, at least in my own sort of awareness, but I wanted to be able to be an ally. Um, it was a meeting about what can be done locally here in Santa Barbara, and I attended, and, um, uh, and they asked, they opened, you know, the floor. Uh, I was one of maybe hmm, three or four white folks, again, as a white passing guy. I'll just identify myself as a white guy uh-huh. um, there, and um, I had my hand up. I was the first to raise my hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, I was like, oh, because I thought I felt all these things about how, you know, what can be done to, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they were very polite about it. You know, they're like, yeah, you know, great. But, you know, it was clear that uh, the space was for black voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first time that I'd really encountered a space like that. Wow. Um, and it got me reflecting um, about my own role and why I would be the, feel like I should be the first person to speak up and, mm. you know, all these. Stuff. So that was, it hit me in a moment where I would think it was open to self-reflection more about these issues of identity and privilege. Mm. And, um, and so, um, so yeah, that was, I think, was an important in some ways point uh, that, that sort of made me really much more aware of, of, of both myself, but also how I would want allies to act um, for the Palestinian cause. Wow, I'm just like, that's so much to sift through. Wow. Um, yeah, it's been a fun reflection. It's pretty, it, it is really interesting how that, how, yeah, anyway. No, that's, I just, one, I was going to say, like, I found it so strange, not strange, but like interesting to hear your story of working through your identity because of your ability to pass. And then I think of like me working through my identity of not passing, but Mm -hmm. like being raised like respectability politics for the lack of a better Mm -hmm. term here. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. trying to be as close to whiteness or adjacent to what was right. And so like undoing that, I'm still undoing that. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, it's, it's kind of like, it's the same type of journey, but like a different destination of, um, of like, wow, I didn't realize that like, I don't know, I guess I didn't realize myself that I was struggling with my identity um, there. And so you kind of just gave me um, a little point of reflection. Um, 
but your story and your passing, um, as you, as you labeled it always makes, when I hear people who say, or even black people I know who are super light are biracial. And I think of the movie imitation of life. Mm. Um, and so that's what I always think of when I hear that term. So if anyone hasn't seen that, please go see that movie. I haven't seen uh, it actually. I don't think. <laughs> So, oh my goodness okay so yeah. it's about it's a black and white movie old old movie and i forgot okay but the daughter is they have a housekeeper and the housekeeper is black and and like apparently the daughter that's raised with the other girl is a housekeeper's daughter but she's passing and mm. the whole time she's raised she doesn't know she's black until she's older and like oh, wow. whole undoing and like she wow. hates her mom then and she people start treating her different but she's still like you would never know she was black until her mm. mom dies like she has like this revelation so mm. that's why i always um like yeah it's a really good it's a roller coaster and i don't know how old i was when i saw that movie. <laughs> i'll have to definitely check it out yeah <laughs> i don't know why i watched it like, Wow, this movie looks great. Let me struggle and cry some. Um, but that's what I want to think about. Like that, wow, that identity. And so now, obviously you're not walking around telling people, I'm Middle Eastern. Nice to meet you. So like, how do you address that now that you are more accepting and you're allowing that identity more salient? Like how do you, when someone dresses you as someone who has as a white male, but you know, you're like part of you isn't like, how do you integrate that like identity into a conversation without like wearing a name tag? <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, one of the things about, um, passing as white is that it definitely gives me an interesting, um, uh, it, it, there's, there's choices to be made about when I do disclose certain things and when I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so I've definitely come across situations where, in fact, you know, well, anyway, there, there are many stories, but um, uh, you know, my name gives it away. Um, and so sometimes I have to decide whether I want to tell someone my real name or just call, call myself Will, um, oh, because really? that comes with, a, um, you know, depending on the context that comes with either, I, you know, I know it's going to be either an issue or it's going to be. A ten, you know, a ten minute, like what, huh? You know, all that stuff. Uh, and if I literally just want to have an exchange for a burger, you know, I might just give them some other name. Um, but, um, but all more broadly, and this is the story. I was, I was, um, you know, and this is very tame compared to the experience of of many uh, folks of color, for sure. Um, but is sort of odd as, as someone, you know, different as someone who passes. I was at a. Uh, rural bar um, having a beer with some random who sat next to me um, and uh, we were chatting having a good time and just whatever and then he says oh what's your name and I knew I well I had a stereotype based on what he was sort of anyway that he might have issues with my name with who I am um, and so I decided but you know what? I'm like yes whatever I'm gonna I'm gonna say we'll lead Within 30 seconds after I told him my name was Waleed, of course, he goes into, huh, what, is that, whatever. He asks me if I'm one of those terrorist types, and he shows me his, his gun. Like, literally within 30 seconds. Right? Wow. So, um, I mean, it was just, one, just a, sort of a reminder of how much my white skin allows me to pass in contexts that, that would never occur if I didn't have that white skin, number one. And number two, how thin the veil is. Um, of of racism <laughs> uh, and violence. Um, so anyway, so to your question, that's one way is is just through my name. 
sometimes I wear a hatta, which is a, or a kafiya it's called. It's a Palestinian scarf, kind of. And so when it's cold, I often wear that. And that, um, although it's become more of a fashion sort of thing now, it still often identifies me as, uh, as different. Um, and, um, and then in classes, I, you know, if relevant, in classes where it's relevant, I'm open about sort of my background. I was I was writing down the name of the the garb because that's why oh, yeah. I met you when you had one on and I uh-huh. couldn't think of the name of it. Um, yeah, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Like that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty absurd. That's like, <laughs> but like you know, but like I said, I mean, people. It was anyway. Yeah. No, but like to see that switch, like first you were just like it was pretty dramatic. Guy, you know, chilling right. at the bar, and the next thing you know, <gasps> I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But full disclosure, growing up, I grew up in this extremely right-winged, looking back, extremely racist um, place. And that was, and I'm like, I'm clearly black. You can't, I'm not. And the things they would say, like, even to this day, they would say some of the same things that are like about Middle Eastern people and about uh, Latina and especially Mexican people from, because I'm from Texas. And so Mm. I'm just like, if I hadn't left I might even be viewing the world the same way. And I think Mm. everyone is one decision away from, Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, being a racist. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Certainly not. Certainly. Yes. Yeah. Certainly parental figures away from it for sure. Yeah. And so that's, so how do you, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you, how do you go home and decompress or like, how do you, I don't know, because I've never, I don't think the, the most violent and violent relatively is speaking is that someone's like drawn the Confederate flag on the board and told me like to leave. Like that's mm. the oh. I've felt or like been called the N-word, but I've never been like threatened. People come in my space because they just thought I didn't exist, but like I've never been threatened or like shown a weapon. So like, I don't even know like how, like what I would do after that. Like I probably just go cry. Like, I would like to think, I'd be like, ah! <laughs> well, I mean, the violence you described are, is pretty similar to showing, I mean, it's, 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 threat, it's clearly a threat, right? I right, mean, the, right. The, you know, so, um, I mean, one of the interesting things is, is since I am white, I had, um, I, I, I sort of know that I have privileges that make it so that um, random, or so that acts of violence uh, are less likely to be, inflicted upon me mm. um you know so i feel safer in spaces than most um you know folks of color uh, who who don't pass as white um and so uh, i think my reaction would have been very different had i been um had my skin color been different because i, I likely would have uh, known at, the, at, at that moment that my safety was truly in jeopardy um in this case i just basically laughed it off um, you know, to his face and said, you don't have anything to worry about. And we sort of wrapped up the conversation. Um, I but out. <laughs> <laughs> like, you wouldn't even have to like do nothing. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so with, on all of this and, um, not to be super personal, but I've always been curious of when a prof- like, because you are a professor, yes, you are a full professor, but now 
I've seen stories in Chronicle and Inside Howard Ed of tenured and full professors like still losing their jobs. So like, how how does your does your department support this? And like, how do you know when not to cross the line? Like, especially for me, I know that I'm always going to be like, I'm black. I'm gonna speak up. Um, deal with it. But like, I also know like I kind of want a job because <laughs> I have mm-hmm. to. So like, how mm-hmm. do you? How have you been navigating that line, even with, I don't know what I was going to say. That's it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important, um, it's, a, it's a really important question. And I don't know that I have, and I think everyone navigates that in their own way. Mm. Um, and there's definitely no right, there's no right way to do it. Um, in, in academic circles, um, I've absolutely witnessed um, racism and discrimination and the way in which it affects uh, hiring and uh, the way it affects tenure and the way it affects, I mean, it's very real. Um, and, and again, I think because of, because I pass, there are conversations that happen um, in my presence that might not happen if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it's been, it's been, you know, Oh, anyway, it's been frustrating, obviously, to see and et cetera. But, um, but yeah, so um, that's a much that's a long conversation um, that I'm happy to have and, and certainly willing to have. Um, to your question specifically, um, I've made choices that um, I've made. I mean, that part of the reason why I didn't really take on a really, I think, explore my sort of positionality in terms of Palestine um, in any active way was because of awareness that um, I needed to toe the line. I needed to keep that, you know, private part of my politics to myself and my identity to myself Mm -hmm. until I was in a position of security in my job. Um, And so um, that's, that's part of it. Um, I teach a class, um, first year seminar, one credit seminar on Palestine, Israel which has really nothing to do with my expertise in communication, not at least in interpersonal communication, but is sort of one way in which I've decided I can make a difference. I actually co-teach it with a rabbi, um, the Hillel rabbi, although um, I just this year chose, decided not to do so because it was too emotionally laborious for both of us. But the idea was to present, you know, multiple perspectives. But certainly in that space, I need to be careful because of increasing um, policies and laws that equate criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. Mm. And um, so, um, so yeah, so, you know, what I, what, what I say and um, how I say it and things like that are definitely measured. Ooh. My biggest fear is that for me personally, you know, a lot of my friends sit around and we talk about this of like, will we be selling out or will we be, you know, for like playing the game to their rules by not speaking up until we have our, you know, tenure. But then um, a professor told me, you know, you do no good. And they're a black professor. They said, you know, you can speak up as, you know, as much as or little as you want to, but always remember you do no good if you've done all these things and you don't get tenure. And I was right. like, oh. That hurts. Right. So I think that's, um, I think that's, that's something interesting and something to always like try to a perspective to have, because sometimes as folks of color, we're like, well, it's our job. We're supposed to open the door and 
Ah, um, but I think that's, yeah, I think that's really interesting that you even stated that, like, you know, till I had a more secure job. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the, the, um, we, changes can't be made if we're not part of the structure that means changing. Well, that's not true. You can certainly make change from the outside, <laughs> right? but, um, but there is a power to making change from the inside mm-hmm. um, because there are privileges given to people who are in the inside that aren't given mm. to people from the outside. And um, so, um, you know, infiltrating, for the lack of a better word, <laughs> uh, the system to help change it um, is, is valuable work. But it sometimes takes um, a long view to mm. be able to do that. Um, and, and I said, that I think is the, you know, and, and the reality I think is that um, academia, I see academia as much more open today to change than it was 15 years ago, mm-hmm. a lot because of the work that's been done outside of academia and a lot because of the folks of color now sort of becoming um, more, you know, more present in academic circles, even though far from where, you know, where, what we need to have, but um, anyway, so, so, so I, I, yeah, I guess I'll just stop there. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I mean, one of the, so one of the things, one of the commitments I've made, um, is, uh, and one of the sort of things I've become really super aware of is the extent to which our, our, our foundational pieces within our discipline are, um, all white samples, uh, asking questions about life in a white way. Um, mm. And, um, and so I think it's, it's, it's going to take, so for, so, and I, my knowledge about communication is based on my graduate education, which was based on readings about white lives. Um, mm. And that's the case still to this day, because the, the things that our students are reading are primarily white samples written by white authors. Um, And so there's not even a space to think about how this is different because this is just knowledge. This is given to us as knowledge, right? So it's hard to think out of those. So um, I just taught a class, um, a graduate class, in which I very expressly included um, a diverse set of um, readings from a diverse set of authors and diverse Mm -hmm. set of samples, et cetera. And every week we challenged, okay, what what would this look like would it look any differently if this sample was not white? Hmm. Uh, what questions might we ask? Or maybe, maybe, maybe not. I'm not saying every, right. you know, but there are times, there are certainly times when that would be. And a good example, I think, was, um, is, is this. Um, there's some research that we read that talks about how um, uh, family conversations about race and racial, quote, unquote, racial pride or ethnic, mm-hmm. ethnic pride or pride in one's skin color and the history and culture that comes with it is something that uh, is, a, is a huge benefit and buffer against the uh, dramatic stresses of day-to-day race. Um, so these conversations are, you know, are going on. I should, they, were, they went on in my family in a very small way, um, mm-hmm. partly because I was raised primarily in the Middle East, so it's not the same kind of context. But, um, but certainly in black families, it's happening. Certainly in Latino families, it's happening quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yet there's almost nothing in interpersonal communication or family communication research that um, studies it. Right? Now, 
if this was not the case, if this, and that, I mean, it sort of struck me as a, as a, just a small example of the way in which, um, you know, it's so common in families of color, yet it's absent in the knowledge base of our field, yet it is 100% a communication phenomenon, right? So our field would look entirely different if it was, if we had folks of color as faculty who ask these questions because they reflected their lives, right? We would know very different things. We would study very different things, you know, in some cases, not like not all cases, but this was just one example of the way in which our knowledge base is defined by the fact that we have, um, we've had historically and continue to have a very white faculty. I'm just, I'm just still stuck on the fact of like, like, what, I don't know, like what racial and ethnic pride, uh, anyway, um, Like, I don't, you know, like, I don't want to, like, diss anybody out there, but I'm a little confused. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and that's, again, that's something me and Lance always talk about because he's interpersonal, and he was like, I think I'm, like, the only Black interpersonal. Now there's another one. Like, you know, it's like all of the people of color that are, like, Black folks are usually org or... Um, which is nothing wrong with that, but like to see no, something, no, that, right. you know, there are very few. Um, yeah, very, very yeah. few. And I'm, I'm that person, like, cause I've taken health com, mm-hmm. I'm taking health campaigns in the fall. Cool. I'm, I'm currently Good. in independent study for calm theory with Rachel McLaren. Oh and yeah. So, um, that's all I've just been reading all the time. And so like, right. I'm, I'm that person that's like, so this is great. What about, I don't think we would do this. I don't think black folks, you know, we really wouldn't, we don't go about making decisions that way or, you know, and then there's that person like, why are you always going to talk about black folks? I'm like, right. why not? Because y'all talk about right. this all the time. So right. um, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's, that's awesome. And, you know, I might, you, uh, UCSB might've been added to my list of future programs. I'm not sure. Absolutely. I um, hope so. <clears throat> Other schools, if they're listening, you're there too. Definitely hope so. <laughs> um, but I think that I will say this before I let you go. And of course, thank you for your time. I will say that being your, this is going to sound like really cheesy and like a Facebook commercial, but truly being your Facebook friend and some of the things you post and some of the discussion questions and not even, you're not even trying to have them discussion questions like it's some class, but like some of the questions you pose and things you say have definitely caused me to reflect on some of the things I believe, um, especially about things about the Middle East and Palestine and Israel and different um, countries and different policies and politics overseas because I'm like I told like I mentioned you know very right-wing very you know biblical family and so I think that I want to thank you and I think I've thanked you before but I definitely want to thank you again so everyone can hear that you know you you even if you no one else tells you thank you and says you're doing great work outside of calm like outside of all the amazing top first author articles you have and books um you are really truly educating folks and having them question some of the beliefs that have been ingrained in us. And I think that's important. So. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. You know, I'm yeah. usually like loving and typing and sharing. <laughs> you know, I so, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I pretty much love every post that you have too. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're a mutual attraction society here. <laughs> Is you about my dog, Rafe or Rafe? <laughs> 
that I have because one of them is getting on my nerves. Um, <laughs> but I thank you so, so much. And um, you are great, like I said, and I thank you for your time. And I hope you have a great rest of the day and then get some rest or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you too. I know. It's, yeah, yeah. It looks beautiful. Oh, thanks. All right, bye. All right, see you, Joy. Bye, thanks.